Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I've also got an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast, and you can support us on Patreon. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out. We just had Mindy Tomlin join us on the Patreon. Hey, Mindy, thank you so much. And my top patrons, Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Thank you guys for keeping the lights on. Again, the content is free. But if you join, you get like a little mini bonus episode weekly, and we appreciate you guys keeping the lights on. Um, We also have a Teespring, a Discord, and a Facebook group. And normally, I would transition to what's going on, you know, what's coming up, what new events are happening, but we are still under quarantine here in Dallas. Uh, So what's going on is another quarantine chat party. We are going to cover The Last Crusade this Saturday at 8 p.m. This is in our Facebook group. So if you want to join us on there, send me your quest. I'll add you. And we just hang out in a chat and we all press play at the same time. And it's tons of fun. Uh, With that, I have a couple returning guests with me here today. I have Sarah and Samantha. Say hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Two familiar voices I've had on here a couple of times. So excited to have you all back. Uh, for anyone that has not heard your previous episodes, can you guys share a quick uh, little tidbit about yourselves? Uh, my name is Sarah Ragsdale. I am an actor, voice actor in the DFW community. And the previous episode of I Love That Movie that I did was the Breakfast at Tiffany's episode. And hi, gang. I'm Samantha Grace, and I am a little a local theater teacher. And my episodes were the Rio Bravo episode. I love that movie. And the Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show. I love that movie, too. <laughs> Yay. I'm so glad to have you guys back and want to give you a quick shout out. I talked a little bit about it on social media, but the two of you sent me this, like, care package box and it was just funny because when you said like i'm gonna send a box i was like oh okay and i i guess i was like oh i wonder what that's gonna be and then when you sent it it was just like bursting full of activities and books (laughs) and puzzles it was like the coolest thing i've ever received in my entire life so thank you so much for sending that i was blown away like moved by it oh thank you I, I love to send what I call Mary Poppins bags, where you just open it up and you like, oh, is there a bottom to this? No, just keep going. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminded me of when we, uh, I think Nick and I came over to the, uh, t- to your studio and helped you with a few projects for your play. 
and then you you already had a, a little basket of goodies and you're like oh since you came today here's i was like no no what's going on <laughs> you just got these little care packages for everything that's so awesome it feels very teacher too i really liked it <laughs> it is you know it is a, it is a thing that teachers do i particularly do in my classroom i do a thing called treatsy so cool where i treat the kids if they get like a trivia question right and sometimes it's about movies <laughs> and so i love this group because then i can continue like oh that's a new fact i learned i'm gonna use that on the kids tomorrow <laughs> that's awesome yeah it was super fun and we've we've been playing with all that stuff uh i've been reading your comic books and we are uh, doing word searches too at night on my patio and it's kind of funny because some of our neighbors i can hear them like getting like drinking and talking to each other and then nick and i are sitting in silence like doing crossword puzzles <laughs> that's a, a bit of a contrast <laughs> i love that but uh yeah <laughs> um but so guys um or ladies rather uh i guess that's that's i feel like dude is gender neutral at this point you know um, i'm i'm a dude what? you're a dude you're a dude <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um so so y'all uh what movie did you select today i you heard my call i said let's pick some like you know feel good films and i feel like this really fits in that category what what movie did you guys select we went with to Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar from 1995. Can I admit to you that I had not even heard of this film? <gasps> oh. I had <laughs> no idea what it was about. I had no clue. So, And it was funny because I put it in the chat and a bunch of people were like, oh my god, yes! And I was like, oh, okay, I'm in for like a treat. And I always like you know, spot the reviews and kind of look at it a little bit before I press play, not look up too much about it, but just seeing what it's going to be. And I was like, oh, interesting. How have I not heard of this? And then I watched it and I felt like I just had this life changing experience. Like, you know, when you, you see something that like, you're like, I had no idea this existed and now I love it. Like, that's how I felt watching this, honestly. What, what I usually feel when I see something like that, I was like, who made this just for me? This was a treat right. for me. Thank you. Thank you, studio. <laughs> yeah, it tried to be like this big studio hit because it has big names in it. You know, it's it's not it's it not some sleeper film of like nobodies. I mean, this is people at the pinnacle of their game. And, you know, it was box office number one two weeks in a row. And then it just kind of fell off a little bit, kind of fell into obscurity. And it's one of those films, it, it does feel like a treat, that you know about it. And you're like, have you ever seen Tu Wong Fu? And the people who have get so giddy. They're like, oh my God, yes, I love that movie. And those who have it, you're like, you need to watch it. And then they watch it and they do the same thing. Like, oh my God, that was so good. I'm like, I know, right? I know. <laughs> it's refreshing. I, and I guess we'll we'll dive into that a little bit later. But when, when did you guys first see this? Um, I probably saw it for the first time back in junior high. That's when my family got like proper cable and we saw movie channels. So that would have been around oh, nice. the time it would have hit the movie channel circuit as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I was you know, by myself alone in my room watching some weird stuff my family doesn't want to watch. <laughs> 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 I love it. For for me, it's kind of been, I know I say this a lot, but it's kind of been like my family collective conscious. I can't remember the first time I watched it, but my mom loves this movie. And I remember Aww. I had to be in middle school. Um, It came out in 95, so that would have put me about 
fifth grade. So it had to been about sixth grade when I really like absorbed it in. My mother loved this film. And so this was one that we had on VHS that we watched a lot. Like even to the point that my dad started liking this movie because a movie like this is like not even (laughs) on his radar. But he was like, man, this is fun. And so we would, as a family even, watch this movie. So middle school me, this is totally normal. I don't know kids my, well, kids my age, grown-ass people my age. I don't know if they would say that about themselves in middle school. But this this movie is, is kind of a heartfelt um, home run for my family. This is Samantha's family-friendly comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, okay, so when, when I started watching it, and a lot of people compare it to and maybe was overshadowed by Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which I have also seen. I've seen that one before. Was more aware of that one. I think maybe sort of eclipsed this movie. But I also kind of thought that this was going to, you know, take a dark, serious turn. You know how, like, it, it does feel like Hollywood has a harder time, like, talking about LGBTQ people, like representation without it being like very sad. Mm -hmm. And it feels almost like if it's not super dark, people are just like disinterested almost. Um, And so I think it's refreshing that this isn't like that. And it's like representation, but it's also happy, which is really nice. Like they talk about some dark issues, but they don't go there for very long. And the whole tone of the film is just very happy. Yeah. One of the things I wrote down about this film that just kind of was like a quick blurb was it's a movie about drag queens but it doesn't need any justification in the sense of we don't have to justify that these people are drag queens like it's not needed it's kind of like a lot of movies yeah there's not a dark sad story about why yeah Yeah. you know like some movies have to justify you know a dark angle or they have to justify a certain character because they exist i was like well people exist and this movie's like yeah people exist period and there's no need for justification no need for explanation it just lets these characters exist without having to put them through you know an odyssey to to get to the end of their story it's a simple story and they just gently and gracefully tell it without any needs to be like oh my god the drag queen angle like there is no drag queen angle yeah like no one in it is dying no one is you know uh (laughs) They they all have an empowerment, and that's, and they they talk of how their art form empowers them, and there is something so beautiful about that. Yeah, it's very normalizing. Like the whole mm-hmm. movie feels like it's normal, a day in their life. Um, they run into the issues that somebody in their shoes would run into, but it's not like like you said, you're not having to justify it. It kind of reminds me of. Um, a slight tangent um you know i love my tangents uh <laughs> when i saw the movie smoke signals and that movie is about mm-hmm. native americans um and you know indigenous people and it's not about indigenous people 200 years ago it's not about you know something especially tragic it's just a slice of life movie ab- about people that happen to be indigenous and it's like we don't get enough of that with certain groups, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that this this is definitely an area where I still even feel like today a lot of movies come out about drag queens. It's usually sad. I think I saw a movie um, a couple years ago. Oh, man, what was it called? It's going to kill me. It was a small independent 
British film. Ugh, I'll think of it later. And it was really good, but it was super sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it does feel like they almost think that they have to justify it. And of course, we want to tell all different kinds of stories. It's totally valid to tell stories where there's struggles and sadness, but characters don't always have to have a character arc that is sad and it's good to see some character arcs of people that are represented where it's also positive and so this is definitely a movie that I think you know you'll turn it on and watch it and you'll just feel like the world's a little bit lighter a little Mm -hmm. bit better because I think the world in this movie is a little bit better than the real world (laughs) it's Uh, like an idealized version (laughs) it's it's a little more colorful and a little more special (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, before we continue, I'll go ahead and read the synopsis really quick. Um, Guys, you know, this is not spoiler free. We will be talking spoilers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So go ahead and watch it first if you get the chance. It was free on Netflix right now. Uh, But here we go. Elite Manhattan drag queens Vita Boehm and Noxima Jackson impress regional judges in competition, securing berths in nationals in Los Angeles. When the two meet a pathetic drag novice, Chichi Rodriguez, the charmed Vita and Noxima agree to take the hopeless youngster under their wing. Soon, the three set off in a madcap road trip across America and struggle to make it into Los Angeles on time. Feel like that left out the biggest part of the movie, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll cover that. <laughs> Quick synopsis. You know, like it the whole hour in Angeles. the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, not the best synopsis, guys, but we will break this down for you. So I've got a couple quick facts uh, up here. And sorry about that. It's just one of those things where, because it is somewhat of a cult classic, there weren't like a ton of summaries. And that was like the one that had the most of the plot in it. Anyway. Let's go over some of these quick facts. Uh, The first one I have is that the title of the movie came from an autographed picture of Julie Newmar that the author Douglas Carter Bean saw on the wall of a Times Square Chinese restaurant, the China Bowl, in the mid-1980s. So one of the things that I had found out while looking into my good research on the movie, um, they were worried (laughs) they weren't going to be able to get Julie Newmar's name for the rights. Yeah. So they had a backup of another actress whose photo was also on the wall at that time. <laughs> I wondered why I saw the name of the other actress and it wasn't familiar to me, but I was like, okay, that seems like a different direction. <laughs> and I always wondered, like, was it actually real? You know, this movie, it, it, could that have just been a prop that they found a picture of Julie Newmar and, you know, signed her her name on it and stuck it on the wall? But, you know, I was even this morning was like, is that real? Is that an actual... Like, I know these Chinese, the Chinese restaurant was real and pictures like that, of course, are real. But was that particular one real and it it was inspired by by of course that picture of of julie newmar so i always found that kind of interesting it's always kind of quite i've always questioned it a little bit yeah it's like a fun detail and it's a fun story but i get what you're saying it's kind of like did that really happen or is just that a really cute idea i'm okay with it either way though Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so sometimes we run over like who it could have been and in the title role, it could have been Matt Dillon, Robert Downey Jr., Rob Lowe, or James Spader. Thoughts on this? <laughs> I think James Spader would be beautiful as a woman. I don't know why. I just I can know see that. that. <laughs> well, he's a little bit delicate in his mm-hmm. features. Like he's he's soft. 
Uh, he, I mean, not as an actor, he's not, but he's kind of delicate a little. So I could see him being um, very, very pretty. A little James Spader. I, I don't think Matt Dillon would have been right for this part. No, there's quite a, there's no. a, yeah, there's a long list of names attached to it of who it could have been. One is my favorite actor, Gary Oldman. Um, and I, he turned I feel it like down. I could see that, but it would be different. It yeah. would be very different. And he turned it down because <laughs> he had just finished Dracula not too long before that. Ah. And he didn't want to sit in that much makeup again. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't want to sit having his I makeup done. So how Patrick Swayze actually secured the role is he wanted it. Mm-hmm. And he knew he wanted it. So he'd been testing by himself for a while, like getting put into makeup, wearing the heels, and he came in and got all made up and he, he walked in there and he said, Let's go for a walk. Well, and he, he like took took them kind of for took the one of the times he came in, took him for a walk around the neighborhood to be like, I'm not afraid to be out dressed as a woman in high heels and we're just going to go for a walk. And that's how they knew that that he he had gotten the role. One of my favorite stories that I saw while looking at one of the like two things that like sunk his casting, Patrick Swayze as Vita Boehm, is he went in and kind of impromptu did a monologue about being picked on as a a young man growing up in Texas, having a mother who ran Mm. a dance studio and being a boy heavily involved in dance and how hard that was for him. Mm. And the director said it was just so moving because it it came from honesty because these are things that actually were hard for him. And the other one is that they, uh, one of the things I read was that everyone had to do the whole opening sequence of putting the wig on and looking at themselves. And that um, that was the moment that the director knew, like, that's my Vita. The way he looked at himself and said, yes, this is me. He had that role after that. Oh, I love that story. I mean, I was watching uh, the movies that made us and they did one on Dirty Dancing. And that's when I, I didn't realize that he had had that background as a dancer and that at, at the time of the making of that movie, Patrick Swayze was trying to, like, distance himself from that dancing past until someone figured it out and was like, hey, we should use him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that that's so cool. And and how what a great way to get your power back, too, right? Because being picked on and dealing with that kind of criticism and then just killing it in this role and being so, like, proud of it, that's so great. I love that. I can't really picture anybody else's Vita. I, I like all these other names. I guess I could see, like, Rob Lowe and Robert Downey Jr., I feel, both have, like, soft features, and so I, I could see the look, but I don't know. The way that Patrick Swayze embodies Vita, I, it feels so authentic. Well, that's, that's that dance background, and you can see it how he moves yeah. as Vita. Like, mm-hmm. everything is purposeful and elegant, and it's, it's actually just incredible to watch. Patrick Swayze was one of those beautiful actors that had that ability to show you the rugged, tough guy, but never yes. get a, get away from the actual softness that was inside. Like, even in Roadhouse, which I think is probably his most, like, robust manly role, there was still this edge of of softness and even, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not delicateness, but... Grace. Where, yeah, but it, it where you could... 
you can see he still has as even as that character that character still has their demons they still have their struggle and mm. he never shut that off he never was like i'm just a macho tough guy he's like i'm a macho tough guy that right. also happens to be very soft i'm a macho touch tough guy that is falling in love with the woman and i'm showing you that like it's not all about this physical moment and so all these great things that happen in roadhouse in other movies as well, he's always so able to show you the within. He was such a beautiful actor yeah. able to do that. And I think that that's something that is definitely not missed on Vita Bohem. That his, mm-hmm. the persona of being so gentle and yet strong is so beautiful. Like it's a great juxtaposition. I totally agree. I think that I. I think you're thinking of maybe vulnerability. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That he has that that some hyper masculine actors do not like. I was listening to uh, How Did This Get Made this past week, and they were talking about the movie. Uh, I think Bloodshot, and they were commenting on the fact that uh, Vin Diesel, who who I do like, but he has this. I think it's like written in the contract of the movies that he does where like nobody can ever really beat him up too bad. Um, You know, he's always kind of got to be on top. He has to win. I think there was a famous article that said like he and The Rock would get into like how they couldn't defeat each other on screen because it like takes down their masculine points or whatever. And so that was like in their contracts. Um, And I think what happens when you do that sometimes is that character becomes less like human it's like they don't have any vulnerability and then it's harder to feel like the stakes of their situation Uh, but when an actor is able to be vulnerable and show you know those different sides that you're talking about it doesn't take away from their masculinity so it's kind of I think it's better to be more open and it's really cool that you know Wesley Snipes and Patrick Swayze I mean at this time in 1995 I mean they were huge you know very macho action stars essentially and so it's a big deal that they would take this role and you know I I don't think that was lost on them but they definitely never play these characters like just comedy it it feels like it's them you know Mm -hmm. being these characters I agree even though they and some of the other names that are mentioned that could have been cast in this role that's one thing I would be afraid of is that they would take it to you know, the typical gay character of that time and make them Mm -hmm. a farce rather than a well-rounded character. And I don't think anyone did that necessarily in this film. I think everyone found some way to ground their character in realness in a very endearing way. Yeah, this movie's full of camp. But it's definitely still full of heart, and it's still full of truth. Like, it's campy without being over the top. It's It, it has a lot of, I like, agree. oh, that's so fun. That's that's funny. We can make little jokes here and there about, about being gay or about being a drag queen. But it never loses truth. It never loses its honesty. And again, like Sarah said, that is something that I think is so refreshing about this movie, is it never pushes that. It never makes somebody... Um, you know, over an over-the-top character or a caricature even of people that this is their truth. Like, this is this is their real life. And so that's something that's so also so wonderful about this film. Yeah. The last little fact that I had was that golfer Chi-Chi Rodriguez <laughs> won an undisclosed sum of money from Universal and Amblin <laughs> after complaining that John Leguizamo's character shared his name. 
Rodriguez claimed that being linked to a gay character who dresses in drag had harmed his reputation. Oh, his poor machismo will never recover. Oh, <laughs> I was so like, well, it's sad. telling that I. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's so silly. Can you imagine being like that threatened? It's just silly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think that's probably to me that reads as a last ditch effort of trying to get some sort of money for your name because have I've <laughs> right. never heard of the golfer Chichi Rodriguez. <laughs> I know. And this character, I think, was written for John Leguizamo, right? I think it was, it was written with him in mind. Is yes. What I, I um, from what I can tell, he, he the the writer Douglas Carter being, like, pictured Leguizamo. He has a history in theater, on the stage, as mm-hmm. well as Douglas Carter being. He's written several, like, plays for the stage. Um, and I, I'm sure he saw some of his, you know, one-man shows that he's done and in those, John Leguizamo portrays women characters on stage, so yeah. he knew he oh, could embody good. that. That's so cool. Um, on a side note, I love... So this is directed by Biban Kidron, and uh, so female director, and I feel like that had a lot to do with how the characters come off. Do you agree? Like, I mean, I think maybe ideally a drag queen would have also directed it you know I think that would be even more authentic but I think the fact that it was a female director she treated uh these you know very masculine men in drag in a different way I think than a than a straight male director would have directed them I I definitely think so for me um movies that have like a touch of heart that have female directors there's always a little something more there than if any type of a man had had done the direction as well. There's just another layer that I think always shows up that they're able to help their actors tap into for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, it was kind of sad to see that she, this was like her first big directorial movie in America because she is, she is not an American. And she really didn't have too many others after this other than like the Bridget Jones and Edge of Reason but I had hoped to see a lot more yeah unfortunately that's a pretty common story I mean like when we talked about the movie American Psycho that had a female director as well huge movie and she never really did a whole lot after that and and that is something that comes up time and time again it's starting to change now but it was not uncommon for female directors, even when they get a big hit, to still have a pretty tough time in Hollywood getting future projects. Yeah, this, the director, um, she is actually quite decorated. She is the Right Honorable Baroness Kidron. She is a baroness in, in England. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, that is a very <laughs> <cool>. special um, <laughs> title given to her by the Crown for her works for for art and theater she actually has started a i can't remember what it's called i wish i would have written it down but like a fool i didn't but in england she's actually started this like um movie club for students to study film and these different things and that takes up a a lot of her time but she being this kind of woman on a pedestal I mean she is a baroness you would think that maybe we would know more about her but in her home country she's a celebrated 
megastar, but here we know her as oh, maybe okay. the woman, sort of, kind of, that directed some things. Oh, that Bridget Jones <laughs> movie that one time? I think I saw that. You know, it's, it's weird how there it's a different celebration of your art, where here we're more about how much money could you make us? Mm-hmm. And because this movie kind of didn't much. make that much money, it, she just kind of got written off. Well, one of the things that I read that I think probably is the reason as to why we don't see too much from her is she almost didn't get to direct this film because she found out after she got it that she was pregnant. Oh, man. And so it was almost going to be... That's fun timing. It was almost going to be impossible for the studio to even ensure her to direct it because if she had to step out... No one else was going to want to direct this at that time. So many male directors turned it down. And the only saving grace that kept it going is Steven Spielberg is a producer on it, and he wanted her to direct it. And she said, Steven, I can't. I'm pregnant. And he said, well, here's your backup. If for whatever reason, due to your pregnancy, you can't continue directing, I will step in and direct the rest of this picture. That is wonderful. I was just about to say, like, it's crazy that that would even, uh, so many thoughts on that. But yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, that should not stop somebody from directing, like, pregnancy happens to people. I know. But that's just interesting look into, into that, you know into that uh field and this was um but that's so cool that that happened yeah and this was 1995 like this is not that long ago it, it wasn't the <laughs> 70s yeah know? it wasn't it wasn't yeah <laughs> it wasn't when women still couldn't have their own credit card like this was you know well past women's <laughs> liberation like full 20th century <laughs> wow yeah. so and isn't it interesting when you have a more diverse pool of directors, i.e. including women at all, um, you get different stories. And so we would not have the story without her, essentially. And it's great that Steven Spielberg could see that, that this story story, sorry, needed to be told. Um, but wow, that's just a lot to, uh, to digest. I, I, that's so cool that you guys found that. I did not see that. I, I was going to say that there was a very play feel very theater feel to this whole movie like I could imagine it being on three different sets almost um and so hearing that background of her and you know the writer and of course John Leguizamo I'm like okay this makes so much sense now like I definitely got that sense from the film oh yeah we could easily see this being turned into a stage production and be very happy well well, actually to watch that (laughs) in 2017 they started the works for putting together to wong fu the musical i don't know where they are but that is something that i found digging around for research was um that they are they started talking about it in 2017 and i think it would turn i think it would translate well into a musical well the writer himself has adapted movies into musicals before he did the the script for the stage version of xanadu so oh wow he he has the capability he has the power (laughs) (laughs) and this is like the perfect timing right because look at how big you know dragula is or rupaul's drag race who's in this movie too. <laughs> um, like you could do this today. And what's really neat about it is people would be even more familiar with some of the drag queens that they would include in the film. Um, maybe even making the lead characters, you know, drag queens instead of 
finding, you know, actors that are typically, you know, cis straight characters, you could just find some actors that are men that are drag queens. Oh, I, I've, and that would be I've followed the drag queen Bianca Del Rio on all social media. Um, and, uh, someone's already tagged her in it that they're trying to get the circulation going for Netflix to do a Netflix reboot, and they want Bianca Del Rio to play Vita, they want, um, Bob the Drag Queen to play Noxzema Jackson, and then Miss Vanjie to play Chichi Rodriguez. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome, yeah, like, this is, I feel like this movie's pretty ahead of its time, like, in terms of including... I feel more authentic culture in their dialogue than in some movies portraying drag queens. And, you know, we've already talked about normalizing it. Um, I think it, I think it's prime for a reboot. So I hope that happens. Um, guys, do you want to dive in and talk about some of your favorite scenes? Oh. <laughs> I um, mean, just ooh. <laughs> the opening alone is yes. some, has some of my favorite moments. Like, the same with the director when when Patrick Swayze pulls his head back after putting his wig on and he goes, "Here comes Mama!" Like, ooh, chills. Like, <laughs> I know I was sold right away. Like the second that that happened, same. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna like this movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the that opening sequence, and I also have to comment: this movie has a terrific soundtrack like that song patrick swayze he gets he's he's getting out of the shower and he looks all manly like you don't know what journey we're about to go on and you know he sits down and he puts the cassette in and press play and then he pulls his hair back with a little bandana and then like off we go and it's it, the the montage of him and Wesley Snipes getting ready in their drag. And you kind of get to see a glimpse, a secret glimpse into this world. Like you feel like you're invited in to something that no one else gets to see. And it's so fun to see all the different things that they're doing to get ready. And then they show Chi-Chi like walking down the street with her wig in her hands and like <laughs> her shoes on, holding her yeah. shoes. She's you know, like, she's ready. like, I'm ready. I could do this whenever you want. Where, you know, it's really showing you the, the difference between these two seasoned men that this is like their art form and versus someone who who still hasn't quite come into their own into this so that opening sequence and the soundtrack every time I turn around it's like man the song fits so perfect it's so great I also love the uh it's one of the car scenes where Wesley Snipes starts breaking down what it is to be a transsexual, a transvestite, and all these different things. <laughs> and he's explaining it to Chi-Chi, and Chi-Chi's watching him. And the last one is, and when a tired little Latin boy puts on a dress, he's nothing more than a guy in a dress. And Chi-Chi gets so mad that she stands up in the back seat and like, pull over, pull over, I'm getting out. And the compromise <laughs> to get her back in the car is, okay, instead of being a drag queen, we'll make you a drag princess. And the look on John Leguizamo's face of the instant happiness of like oh, a princess oh and just <laughs> that moment of like p to the r to the n to this like he just he loses it and it's so funny to see him go from this real mad in a huff to princess I could live with that and, and jump right back into the car and off on their journey they go I always have thought that that's one of the smiles of the movie. (laughs) One of the things I particularly love about that scene as well that no other movie of this type has really done is that whole like little monologue of Wesley Snipes 
breaking down the difference between drag queens and transsexuals and transvestites is some of the most like straightforward information on the scene because everyone assumes that oh everyone who you know it is a drag queen wants to be a woman and it's such a good like instructional breakdown of like the inner works of this underground class and Mm -hmm. it's it's so informational yeah women that dress like men women or men that dress like like women and then men who feel like they are women and then like all the different subheadings of that like that's how i learned how what the difference was mm-hmm. <laughs> was from wesley snipes i mean really even, i mean as a yeah i mean for real i'm not even kidding <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean it's even more evolved now of course like to the point where somebody might look at this now and think oh that's too simplistic to describe you know all the different uh identities because there's more to you know, gender is very complicated and identity is complicated. But especially in 1995, yeah, I don't think anybody ever spells it out. It's like the uh, the majority thinks that, um, you know, it's all the same thing. And it's like, no, people are different. And even in this movie, um, I noticed from reading, I was reading an article and I hadn't noticed it until I read this, but uh, they use the pronouns she the whole movie. They don't refer to each other as men unless it's an insult um and so there's even some murkiness there i think especially with vita um in terms of you know does does vita consider herself uh, a man in drag or does she consider herself a woman um i feel like it's a little murky and they even explore that so i kind of yeah it's kind of cool that they not only give out some definitions but even within the movie the context of the film there's some nuance to you know, the gender of the characters as well. Yeah, and this also being 1995, again, not that far yeah. removed, <laughs> but at that time, these are still taboo subjects. Like, mm-hmm. we weren't talking openly yes. about this in any way. Like, we were not sitting around the living room talking about the difference between drag queens, transsexuals, transvestites, and what, you know, all the difference in between. This was still very, like, oh, are we going to talk about it? And the way it's presented in the film, it's just almost very flippant. It's just really quick, a, a yeah, quick explanation of, fact. of facts. <laughs> yeah, like this is the facts and that's it. And it doesn't, again, has no justification. It just is like, okay, well, this is the breakdown of, of this. And again, that's how I learned. That's what I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's such a it's like lighthearted and it's quick and it's yeah it like you said there's no like having to justify themselves um and and I I was surprised to see that in a movie from 1995 um you know this this is different from Mrs. Doubtfire and it's different from Tootsie it's different from Some Like It Hot because those were all about straight men wearing a dress to get a woman and that's not what this is about at all right it's about actual drag queens and so that's so cool that they're not afraid to tackle all these different topics and you know maybe they are taboo especially at the time or maybe things have changed since then a little bit but uh it's pretty refreshing to see any movie talk about it at all so it's kind of cool oh yeah it's it this is just one of those movies that was such a surprise to me like i was like yes there, I was. I learned so much from this movie as a young girl <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what. I, and there's so much empowerment in it too. 
yeah even even for 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 straight people for straight men straight women there's still something so empowering about it that again it's not my sexuality is better than yours it's we're all equal we're, we're this mm-hmm. is this is an equal playing field and we're just using drag queens as a way to tell this empowering story and again that kind of keeps falling underneath this no justification needed and it's just really great and refreshing and I know when this movie came out it kind of had some mixed reviews in that department of well these are some macho men they aren't gay they aren't drag queens that isn't that kind of tearing down um you know the identity of, of drag queens and to a point yes that is true but like Hollywood always does We've got to start somewhere. And I, I hate to give it that bubble, but with the names that were in it, with Swayze and Snipes and John Leguizamo, these are the people that were putting this movie into syndication on TBS, on TNT, right, on right. Cape. This movie would have fallen in, into even more s- obscurity if if we would have cast drag queens. And that's, in 1995, that is the sad reality of it. I think now talking yep. about a reboot if we did it with with real drag queens i don't think there would be a problem translating it at all because now we're in 2020 but then that would have been lost on 90 percent of americans and so what this movie was able oh, to yeah. do with casting the people that it had in it it was able to draw a wide audience in and show them this is all okay because I don't know if, if you saw the trailer for it in your and researching, but the trailer for this film, <laughs> no, I didn't. I you should you up. should go through and, and look at it because the trailer starts with Wesley Snipes and it's him like punching the air and kicking and doing all this stuff. It's like <laughs> celebrated movie hero Patrick Swayze and it's like a bunch of clips from Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse. It's like Macho Man Supreme. And then now you see them in the wackiest thing ever. And it's them like in the Cadillac rolling down the street made up like drag queens. But that was the whole point of what the movie was doing to sell it to the American audience was like, hey, you're going to watch this because who's in it? We can't. The story is really good, but we can't sell you the story right now because it's 1995, (laughs) which seems like such a ludicrous thing to say every time I say it. But we can't sell you the story, America, but we can sell you the actors. And because you like the actors, then you'll like our story. So that's something that this movie did really, really well. And I always think that the three of them always portray their characters so effortlessly that it's never once bothered me that the critics are like, nah, that's not real. I'm like, well, it's a story anyway, so it's fine. Well, I think if if yeah. we had, like, if it had been one of those movies at the time, you needed names to get this movie made. Yeah. If you had used real drag queens, who even at that time, the only one of name is RuPaul, and they don't even let RuPaul go by her own name in the movie. Uh, if you had put dra- actual drag queens in this part, it would have been cast aside as just another deep cult, mm-hmm. John Waters kind of non-mainstream right. movie, like, or Paris is burning type situation that is so underground that it would not have made any money. Right. And I think part of when you were talking earlier about the monologue about breaking down all the different, uh, you know, identities, I think part of that and part of what this film is trying to do is get people, mainstream audiences to understand that it's not, I think sometimes people focus way too much on just 
the sexuality part, you know, and sexuality is important. It's part of your identity. It's normal. It's healthy. But people want to put, you know, being a drag queen or being transsexual, any of those, you know, definitions into a box of that's just exclusively about sex. And I think this movie is trying to be like, hey, it's about a whole identity, you know, it's like everything. So I think by using, you know, actors that everyone knows and likes and says, hey, come on in, you're invited to this party, come see this. It's saying, hey, like, get the whole picture here. And I think the movie does a really good job of portraying that too. Um, and, and, and by turning the town that they go into in to pro a pro drag queen neighborhood (laughs) um that's 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 the point they're selling like hey we are fun normal people and this is what we want you to understand about us and they and by the end of the movie they do it's very sweet one of the the things that i saw that um douglas carter bean actually used for his inspiration for the script was he actually based it off an 80s anti-gay propaganda film called the gay oh agenda, <laughs> the gay and, agenda. It, and it warned <laughs> of the dangers of drag queens invading small towns and that oh because in the 80s <laughs> that was still like a fear and like yeah. a threat and so he on the other hand was like oh I, that would just be fabulous and i want to see that <laughs> and you know what yeah i do it's too so funny <laughs> i mean it's it's upsetting but mm-hmm. There is a, a humorous thought that these drag queens are driving around to small town America, just invading, taking over. <laughs> making you better, making you clean, yeah. making you wear fabulous clothes. <laughs> How dare they? Giving yeah, you purpose. So, so toxic, so scary. Yeah, helping you get out of, escape yeah. your toxic relationships, empowering you. God, <laughs> no. How dare they? <laughs> the, I love that story. That's so great. <laughs> Uh, what's uh what's another awesome scene that you guys like oh my gosh um i i like towards the end when the red and wild festival is happening it, sheriff <laughs> Sel- sheriff dullard comes back into town and he's all huffing it's, and puffing oh my gosh it's his name dullard. i forgot it's a, <laughs> dullard. it's a misprint it's misspelled <laughs> he you know he shows up and he's like i know there's drag queens in this town and all all the people in town show up and they're like give me my shoe back i'm the drag queen and we have this moment where we actually clip to Noxie and Vita and Chi Chi all in the room hiding. And they, they come out. It, it's, it's this wonderful thing because they come out of hiding. And they're like, we're accepted here. They did this for us. And they, it, it's like this another moment of coming out. It's they're out of this hiding, come out into the open. And it's like utter fabulousness. They've got this great music blaring and they're dancing in the streets and everybody's in their wonderful red, uh, white and black outfits for the red and wild festival. And they're dancing. And it's just so lovely again, that this moment doesn't have to be justified by this evil Sheriff Dullard looking for these drag queens, that this whole town has been brainwashed by the queens. Mm-hmm. But know that this whole town has, has <laughs> you know, stood up for themselves and for their newfound friends that that they would that they would do that and so I love that scene so much of them coming out of their room and joining the festival and joining everybody in this town and them all getting to say their final goodbyes to everyone um, in this town before they continue their journey west to California 
I agree. I love that scene. It's so good. And I like everyone's outfits. <laughs> oh, they're beautiful outfits. Yes. Um, one of... I like the... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, one of my... One, another one of my favorite moments um, is actually when we get to know the most out of Noxzema's character. When she mm-hmm. she meets Miss Clara in the street and she chases her down with her little Robert Mitchum photo. <laughs> and she's just like, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. Girl, I'm getting tired of this. Come here. <laughs> and then they then they have this beautiful little moment where this woman who the whole town just assumes she can't speak anymore. And because she has just enclosed herself and this two minute, if that, like a five minute conversation with one woman about a subject she loves, which is movies. And they they yes. they just geek out over Dorothy Dandridge and Lena Horne, and it's just this beautiful moment how something so simple can bond two people together, and you get to see such a softer side of Noxzema, which I think also is played so beautifully by Wesley Snipes. Just in that moment, you and how he bonds with Clara through all of their scenes is just so delicate, and it's such a a, a vulnerability again that we had not seen out of Wesley Snipes in really any other thing. I, I, think. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I I think it's like one of his best, if not his best, performance. It's it's actually surprising how how complex he plays Noxima. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. I think that this is probably one of my favorite roles of his because it's so effortless. But at the same time, I know as an actor, he is working so hard and it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know there there ha- there is something to say for the fact that they don't come from this world and then they slip into it so well i mean it's like that that's just amazing oh yeah it's you can but tell they I almost such r- almost didn't recognize him i know because okay. he Sorry. looks so beautiful too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yes it's it's so interesting to see like he the character study he as an actor must have done with you know and it's and they're all I'm sure that he had like several specific women in his life that he used as different pieces of Noxzema Jackson and the Mm -hmm. the choices he made to combine different personality traits to create that character I think is just so brilliant yeah Noxzema's not a stereotype Mm -mm. like not just like you know in air quotes like bitter um or something like that she's very nuanced and she has a history we learn a little bit of it but not a lot we we get this sense that there's more there that we don't learn that we don't need to know for the movie necessarily but you can tell that there is some homework done uh on wesley's part uh to bring that character to life and it's really appreciated oh yeah this this is the movie where I'm like I love Wesley Snipes and people are like you love Wesley Snipes and I'm like uh I know, you should I know. love Wesley Snipes. <laughs> you will after this movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um I was going to say one scene that I really liked was when they go to I guess like the store 
where the guy with the stutter runs and they find all those old clothes from his grandmother from the 60s. Yes. <laughs> That's like, and they do the fashion show and I'm like, man, I'm such a sucker for a fashion show montage. I could sit here and tell you that those are corny and I don't want to see them. And that would be a lie. <laughs> I'm always like them. <laughs> so I loved that part. I, I, just, I just like the idea of all the women in the town too, like getting all dolled up and like, really feeling themselves and you know at the beginning of the movie they're like nothing ever happens here and nothing good is going on there's no history there's nothing fun and so these uh these queens bring all this fun and color to their town and some of it they kind of already had there they just forgotten about so i, I really like that part yeah i love the whole concept of that whole scene where noxima and <laughs> and vita have to explain to them what a day with the girls is and and the only <laughs> the only other woman in the town who has any gleam of what that might be is the the sad hairdresser who <laughs> clearly I don't know how she still <laughs> lives in that town. She has no income from that hair salon. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a set from Still Magnolias. <laughs> uh, right, right. I was gonna say it reminds me of another movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's such but, a great scene too, especially when they're squealing over those clothes mm-hmm. and and to the point that Vita mm-hmm. thinks something's wrong with Nakazima that she's like, "What? What is it?" She's like, "I can't speak. Are you hurt?" No. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the them throwing the clothes around. I love that. <laughs> the the <coughs> offline of like the the woman who's the hairdresser, she's hanging the fringe over and she's like, "Oh, yes, that's for me." And Nakazima goes, "Oh, no. This is mine. <laughs> this is fringe." <laughs> I'm keeping But this. that was, like, the best one. Yeah, that was, like, the best outfit. It was. Uh, she needed to wear that one. <laughs> I also liked in the movie, you know, there's a couple confrontations with the locals where you're kind of worried for a half a second. You're like, ugh, where is this going to go? Um, like, when the young dudes try to, like, attack Chi-Chi, it's super scary, but then uh, Bobby Ray shows up, and it's really sweet because it's like that typical scene you see in a lot of like night 80s, 90s rom-com type movies where a man swoops in and saves a girl, and that happens here, except that you know, it's Chi-Chi, and so I I loved that part. Oh yeah, the whole it it actually is very like you're like ooh, is this gonna take like a boys don't cry kind of a turn? I know. I was like, I don't want. That I right know. Now. Like oh. you're like, oh <laughs> so, please God. And then he's like, oh, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray, my knight in shining pickup truck. You delightful little scamp. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that (laughs) Chi-Chi. I I like, too, that they address in the movie, um, you know, there's a part where Vita is telling Chi-Chi to to be honest uh, with the boy uh, about, you know, her identity. And um, I like that because I feel like it, there's this weird thing in our society of, of you'll see sometimes, you know, like guys say that, right? They're like, well, as long as they're not lying to anybody, as long as they're being mm-hmm. honest, I'm like, I don't think anybody's running around pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. Like, that's such a weird conclusion to jump to, you know? Yeah. Like, again, just not understanding identity and thinking that there's all these, like, women that are running around s- surprising guys or deceiving them. It's like, nobody wants to be rejected, um, ever. So I, I don't think anybody is uh, is doing that. So I kind of like that they kind of talked about that a little bit. Maybe a little bit dumbing down for some people, mm-hmm. but 
Maybe not. He's like at, in 1995. I don't he's know. like, we're not going to turn this into the crying game. There's not going to be a surprise at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I didn't think about that. The crying game. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it's one of those people who always like, oh, you have to justify that because everyone assumes like their yeah. sexuality is about you and it's not. It's theirs, it's personal, and you don't need to get involved in it. Yeah, no one's sexuality has ever been right. about anyone else anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like from the beginning of time. Yeah, it's a hard concept for some. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so those those are my, I think, my two favorites. I think yeah yeah what about you guys what, what i i think for both of us the it's not so much big scenes but there's so many little moments like we bonded over this mm-hmm. film together in college and we will just quote it at any point like <laughs> I love there's that. so many quotable moments like hello loretta oh god <laughs> 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 we are so so sarah and i lived together we were roommates and we had another roommate his name is gerald i'm not gonna go too far into it nobody looking him up but um <laughs> that is something still now we have not lived together as a unit in what 10 years if that and we can still meet up with gerald and go hello and he'll go hello loretta it doesn't matter where we are what we're doing he will still do it and it doesn't even need a prompt i mean this movie is some of our our most probably some of our most quoted stuff oh, most quoted you know we'll just roam around the house and just be like just bah, 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 mm-hmm. to wong fu all day long it's it's great jane mansfield not a good look for a vehicle yeah not a good <laughs> not a good auto reference no. <laughs> the ladies i implore you go with the toyota corolla <laughs> i i say that one a lot because i in fact had a toyota corolla and every time we'd get in that trash heap someone would be like i told you i implored you to go with the corolla and, and then you know we'd turn it on and hope for the best so yeah we we do this this movie is all i mean it is this was a a bonding film in college we would if we if one of us had a bad day or we didn't feel well or something was going on this was a go-to you know little mini family unit by that i mean roommate unit sitting around and watching a feel-good film like even to the point that we still call our friend gerald our noxima jackson like he's (laughs) he's he's part of our crew he's our noxy (laughs) Mm -hmm. well that begs the question which one of you is vita oh we switch off because sometimes i'm a chi chi (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm 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 kind of more of a vita at times I don't know we all kind of switch around but we we when we geek out <laughs> like, on like the things that we are hardcore obsessed with we both turn into chi chi thinking about princess loretza and the whole comic <laughs> book thing which is just such a random like inclusion of a character that even like they yeah every character in this film when when they hear chi chi go off about this graphic novel that she is clearly obsessed with they're just like, okay, we're, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm definitely that friend. <laughs> Always obsessed with something obscure that people are like, please, no more. No more. <laughs> um, one of my favorite lines is uh, when um, Vita is explaining the, the Julie Newmar picture. And she's like, Julie Newmar, who's statuesque and the only Catwoman. But I love that part. But so not much. the only Catwoman they reference in this film. Nope. Noxzema, yeah. when when they're playing all the Dinah Washington albums, you hear Noxzema go, Miss Earth, the kit. 
But yeah, they had a thing for yes, cat women. Yes, yes. Cat womans. I don't know how to pluralize <laughs> the, it. The women and Wonder Women too. One of uh, my favorite moments, especially the first watching of it, like you get this big title, the Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, and there's this talk up of Julie Newmar and this goddess, this queen, and. You're like, oh, there's no way we're going to get to see Julie Newmar. And then at the very end, just doesn't utter a line in this movie. And you just see the look she has for Chi-Chi and this little just like hand clasp face clutch of like perfection. And I'm just like, yes, Julie Newmar. (laughs) It really is one of the greatest payoffs in cinema. Mm-hmm. Like it's, as silly as that sounds, in this movie, we're they're going across country with this picture of Julie Newmar as kind of their beacon, their icon to to be utterly fabulous and get to California and win this, you know, drag queen of the year and to then at the end see Chi Chi sorry, spoilers, Chi Chi <laughs> win it. And the crown be given to her by Julie Newmar. Like, it's kind of one of those moments that you can't help but to feel elated and, like, almost squeal with delight. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Julie Newmar. I, I was I was almost moved to tears when you get the Chi-Chi reveal, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I knew, like, I feel like I knew Chi-Chi was going to win, but she just looks so beautiful oh, yeah. at the end. I don't know. It was great. <laughs> And it's one of those moments that I like the transformation. Almost didn't get to happen because, from what I can tell, like they because they weren't sure Julie Newmar would give her right to the use her name in the film. She, from what I read, she just kind of showed up one day after that she did give permission to see what this whole thing was about, and that once <laughs> yeah, like what am I putting my name exactly. on exactly? <laughs> and what she did, she was like, "All right, put me in it." <laughs> so we almost we, she's like my name's on there so right we we almost didn't get that because that wasn't in the original script because they didn't even think they could get julie newmar to agree to it and she was just like i like this i want to be in it that's so awesome i love that don't you love it when that happens I'm... when you meet your heroes and they're not terrible <laughs> <laughs> what? that's that's what happened for them another one of those moments where i'm like did this for me thank you this is just for me and i appreciate it <laughs> yeah it reminds me in connie and carla when um debbie reynolds show up and they everybody's like oh my god debbie reynolds and it's it's debbie reynolds of course playing herself and it's just such a beautiful moment and this i think that that's actually paying homage to this movie like that movie is actually kind of mm. has a lot of uh, similar feel to it um and so like that move that minute where they kind of get uh, that big reveal, I think it's kind of paying homage to to Wong Fu. That's great. I know I didn't know that. That's awesome. Well, an- another little fact that I I saw because there's there's so many great like cameos. Like Robin Williams is in this movie and is uncredited yes, yeah. in this movie. His name was not so in bizarre. the credits because the hmm. one of the um, movie executives, Mitch Cohn, who was one of the people who was like who had found this this script from Douglas Carter Bean and wanted to make it happen he did have reservations about making it and not because the characters were gay honestly he was worried that the type of comedy wouldn't sell or work for a general you know big budget audience so he sent the script to Robin Williams to see is this funny enough for you know 
regular America. And that's what he did with all of his scripts. Like Robin Williams, if he gave his seal of approval, he was going to make that movie. And Robin Williams read it. incredible. And he was like, you have to make this movie. And they were like, do you want to play Vita? And Robin Williams said, no, I'm too hairy. But it's, that's awesome. That's why, like, he's like, but I'll I'll do a cameo in it. So he's he, we see him for a glimpse as John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name is my name too. Oh, do people always shout? I hate it when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like forgot about that song. That felt like such a throwback. I'm like, man, I haven't heard that song since I was like eight. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many like little references too that are just so good. Yeah. It, it is it's chock full of of pop culture references to actors to singers uh just tons of people that it live in in that pop culture bubble and it's so great because they're throwing they're throwing all that weight around like even at a point they're sitting around the dinner table talking about what men can stay and what men can go and one of them is mel gibson and mel gibson's one of the men who actually screenshot for the role of vita <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, Mel Gibson was because the list is long. The guys who auditioned, yeah. Mel Gibson was one of them. I I think wasn't mm-hmm. Mel Gibson on the list? Yeah, Mel Gibson was on the list, and I think that's so funny that he could have been in it, but they ended up like giving him a throwaway line about Mel Gibson. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I like I like the also the premise that no that the people in the town don't know, or you think they don't know. Some of them know at the end, but that just is just funny, and then they address it later. One of, one of the things I think is so great about just the testament for each of these actors to show how good they are, you can tell there's like some tension between the characters for what is part of the movie plot, but it one of the things during my research that I found out that made me a little sad was knowing that John Leguizamo and Patrick Swayze did not get along during the making of this. Oh yeah, gosh. And and it 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 comes from craft. Like John Leguizamo has a background in theater and improv, and so he and comedy and stand up comedy, and so he would, you know, go off on tangents to see if bits worked while they were rehearsing and filming. And Swayze comes from a method background, and it drove him absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, I I I I touched on that a little bit, but I hadn't delved into the why that makes a lot of sense i mean it fits their characters too right because vita is so poised and elegant and chi chi is you know open-minded and casual and young oh yeah it's and it's it it's one of those things like you're just like oh that's so sad but it but it, <laughs> it's a testament to them in these roles because like you you can there's some films like even classic hollywood films where you like you can just feel the tension between these two characters and it has nothing to do with what you're watching and it takes you out of it and it puts you in a like behind the scenes yes. kind of thing which some i i mean i love that sometimes but for this movie i think they're all such professionals that you're able to stay in it and i having until recently i didn't know that that was such a big thing between them because they do such a good job with their characters yeah because they're both they're both master actors like again coming from different backgrounds they're still excellent at their craft and so you know i think they both even though they didn't get along very well i don't think that they they were both so professional that they wouldn't let this stand in their way of being able to make their art and i love that about this film is that you know at the end of the day they both will be able to put personal things aside and let 
this this story happen because they both know it needs to be told and won't let that get in the way of of filmmaking but yes yeah, there's right it just makes me so sad <laughs> so bad oh i just because again i love this movie so much that i want everything about it to be perfect but that's hollywood isn't it you <laughs> yeah. know all these people on set and at the end of the day when it's done you wrap and you go home you can't live in that world forever you don't live in that bubble forever so we just now get to rewatch the movie over and over and over again and live in that bubble <laughs> well i think too if if you know you're a uh improvisational actor I, I think that's a pretty common story of people on the set that are not having a, a hard time with it uh, I know like um with Mrs. Doubtfire that we covered last week uh, the, Chris Columbus had to have like two or three cameras on Robin Williams because he riffs so much um, that it's like hard to capture everything and then it's nerve-wracking to edit down the things he says into a movie because uh, a lot of what he says is so you know raunchy that it's like okay is this gonna fit in this children's movie like so i mean and of course that was a positive experience but i'm just saying like a lot of times when you work with somebody like that that's part of the job if you hire them like that that's going to come up there may be some tension between actors oh yeah there's it it coming from <laughs> you know a, a theater background myself like it's even even you know on stage or anywhere it's so rare to be in a situation where you love every single person you work with most of the time you you do bond with different people and um it it <laughs> you you're, there's tensions with different people as well for sure but it's it's so rare to have you know one of those moments where everybody gets along so well and unfortunately this isn't one of those but you'd never know looking at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were all professionals yep yep and and it it I they they ugh, starting again, um, <laughs> you can you can see it in the nominations for Golden Globe that both Patrick Swayze and John Leguizamo got. Unfortunately, I didn't see that our our precious Noxima Jackson Wesley Snipes did not get any accolades, but. Um, I think Aww. I think Swayze really thought this was going to be his Oscar nomination film. But mm -hmm. they both lost out to Pitt and Travolta for, yeah. <laughs> for the 1995 Golden Globe. <laughs> <laughs> You're disgusting. Me. That was Sorry. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of John Travolta. <laughs> it's all right. What? I won't go into it. <laughs> But this is a positive. <laughs> yes, podcast. yes. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna bring us all down about John Travolta. It's I just love fine. the context of it. Just like your bitterness towards it because this movie. That, that's like when we talked about. I think it was Raiders. I can't remember. No, no. I think Raiders won. But there, there was some movie we talked about that didn't win like that. And my guest was like, "No," and I'm like, "I, I kind of love that energy." So. You know. <laughs> It's still positive. You're positive about this movie. Yes. yes. This movie. This movie very is, much so. Yeah, this movie's fantastic. And in my heart, they all won an Oscar for just awesomeness in general. So mm -hmm. it's fine. <laughs> That's great. Um, I still own this movie on DVD to this day. Mm -hmm. And Same. at my mother's awesome. house, it still exists on the original VHS we bought. So it's I have it in two different formats, the OG VHS and, <laughs> and DVD. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll ask you two my last couple of questions then. Um, 
why do you like this movie so much and why do you think you've seen it so many times? Just sum up what we've been chatting about. I th- I think it's just because it is one of those movies, like, even it's got so many little jokes here and there. So even though it starts off kind of mm-hmm. like, what am I getting into with this? It brings the funny. It brings the heart. And it brings a journey. And it I'm in for the ride every time. Like, and it's, to me, it's one of those films that if it's on, I'm going to sit and finish it no matter what point it's at. Because, oh, Tuong Fu's on. Yeah, for me, it's one of those things, like I said earlier, it's kind of the collective consciousness of of my childhood, kind of this nostalgia moment of, you know, remembering all the different times I watched it. My cousin loved this movie, too, so we'd sit around her house and watch it a lot, um, it's it's one of those films that it just makes you feel good. It just does. It, you put it on, and like I said earlier, if you're having a bad day or something's not going right and you just need a little pick-me-up, this is a great movie that will do it every time. It's kind of almost lighthearted. There's not a big heavy reveal. And I kind of love that movie for it. Just tell me a simple story make me smile and I'm just going to keep coming back to it again and again because it just makes me feel good. Oh, I love that. Well, I've only seen it once, (laughs) (laughs) but I will definitely watch it again because I really did enjoy it. So I'm so glad you guys picked it and brought it to my attention. Um, What is your theater theater pitch? What is your elevator pitch for this movie? And theater pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now I'm, suddenly I'm at a loss. I'm like, oh, what do I say? I, I like if I was gonna <laughs> do like a quick pitch to someone like this this movie, I would do like a full Stefan SNL like this movie has everything: drag queens, drama, <laughs> heart, journey, Chi-Chi, Noxzema, Vita, style, substance, Julie Newmar. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> There's nothing I can say to to uh, follow that up. So yeah, we're going with it. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I think Stefan would enjoy this. Film. Oh, I think so as well. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming back on. Uh, I really appreciate you so much. And you know, we had talked about like hanging out in real life, and then all this happened. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we get to hang out digitally. <laughs> Um, and I'm so glad that y'all came back to talk about this movie and obviously we'll both be back soon. I'm positive, but, um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. We love this movie. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Yay. And thank you. Wong Fu. (laughs) 